Welcome back to the Lehigh Valley Arts Podcast, where we will explore the local arts culture and community in the Lehigh Valley. We'll be doing this through conversations with individual artists, administrators, and organizations. We'll discuss all types of mediums with the goal of enriching local arts culture. Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Lehigh Valley Arts Podcast. My name is Ben, and today I will be joined by Matthew McClanahan and Lauren McChesney, the two owners of Shankweiler's Drive-In and the Moving Picture Cinema. Matt has always known he wanted to work in the movie industry. He has a filmmaking degree from Temple University and has produced numerous independent short and feature films. After completing an internship in Los Angeles, Matt became enamored with independent art house theaters and shifted his focus toward the presentation side of films rather than their production. In 2014, Matt helped to revive and run a drive-in theater in Carbon County, PA, where he found his niche. Matt teamed up with his friend and fellow theater operator, Brendan Joyce, in 2019 to found the Moving Picture Cinema, presenting professional-grade outdoor cinema to unique, non-theatrical spaces in the greater Philadelphia area. The Moving Picture Cinema kicked off operations with a handful of smart, intimate screenings found at local breweries and taprooms. In 2020, Matt decided to take on the Moving Picture Cinema full-time in order to assist communities in desperate need of safe, socially distanced entertainment during the COVID-19 pandemic. The Moving Picture Cinema also became an outdoor exhibitor for regional theaters whose auditoriums were closed to the public. During the spring of 2022, Matt met with the owners of Shankweiler's Drive-In in Orfield, BA. The theater had been for sale for several years, and its future was uncertain. Matt and his business partner, Lauren, made the decision to purchase the theater and continue its operations. The drive-in reopened in November of 2022 and is now open year-round. The Moving Picture Cinema continues to innovate and evolve new events and partnerships to offer the drive-in experience to communities across Eastern PA, allowing Matt to combine his love of vintage cinema with his borderline obsessive DIY spirit. Lauren spent the majority of her adult life as a medical social worker and healthcare marketer. She met Matt in 2018 when she was a customer at his first drive-in theater. After traveling around the country together, visiting drive-in movie theaters and unique cinematic displays, Lauren found herself gravitating more toward the cinema business. In May of 2022, Lauren took a leap out of healthcare and joined the Moving Picture Cinema full-time to oversee the company's marketing and business development activities, helping to expand the mobile cinema into new markets. This played an integral role in facilitating the company's expansion as they acquired Shankweiler's Drive-In Theater. In her new role, Lauren strives to engage with the community, building partnerships and expanding the theater's usage beyond traditional programming. Lauren and Matt both have a vision for the future of theatrical exhibition and are using their complementary skills to make this a reality. Welcome to the show, guys. Thanks for having us. So tell me a little bit about Shankweilers. I know there's a huge, rich history there, and I'm sure the listeners would love to hear about it. Well, our, our tagline is, you know, the oldest drive-in in America. And and there's a little caveat to that, where we are the oldest operating drive-in in America. Uh, the first one opened in, in Camden, New Jersey, uh, but only lasted about five years. Shankweilers opened the following year in 1934 and has been continuous run ever since. We are the fourth set of owners to take over the theater, and uh, we plan to to keep it going well into the future. Uh, but yeah, Shankweilers has been around forever. Everyone, everyone has mem- everyone local has memories going to it. It's it, it's even including myself. I went there growing up, so you know it's that's kind of where we are and the the, the brief explanation of it. <laughs> so um. 
we're not just America's oldest drive-in, we're the world's oldest drive-in. We actually found out on a Google search that we have a Guinness World Record. Wow. Yeah. Oh, that's super cool. I saw on the Wikipedia page, and correct me if I'm wrong, but that you guys also were the first theater to implement FM radio transmission. That's correct. That is incredible. I mean, for something that is so standard across the industry today, to to be the first ones that did that is just so cool. Now, radio broadcast wasn't wasn't a new thing at the time. Sure, but but FM was that yeah. that's the big. So a lot of drive-ins were using AM transmitters, or they were still using speaker poles. Yeah. Um. So, uh, you know, Shankweilers kind of kind of took took drive-ins into that next generation of sound delivery with the stereo FM. And that's the system that we use to this day. There hasn't been a, a, an advancement that that really works for, you know, distributing sound across that lot quite as well as FM broadcast does. You are obviously no stranger to the film industry um, and especially projection, having been at Mahoning Drive-In and then the moving picture van and now Shankweilers. So what I see in common with all three of those are unique environments for watching movies. Tell me a little bit about your draw for those unique environments. It kind of stems back. I did a study away program in Los Angeles at, at, towards the end of my uh, time at Temple. And I, I, I kind of fell out of love with the movie industry, but fell mm. in love with movie theaters and the exhibition side. And when I came back to Pennsylvania, I... I wanted to kind of bring that experience of going to all these unique art house theaters and these unique venues because there was something fun about going to an unusual space and watching a movie. And I wanted to take that experience and bring it here because uh, kind of like you, there wasn't a lot here in yeah. the Valley or in, in, at, my, at the time in the Philly suburbs where I was living at the time to experience that. So, you know... My time at the Mahoning was really a, a great opportunity for me to explore not only, you know, unique presentation in an interesting setting, but also the technology behind it, uh, because developing the digital system for that drive-in is ultimately what led to, you know, me being able to go on the road with the van yeah. and bring that theatrical experience to non-theatrical spaces. Very cool. Yeah, for, for those listening, I first was put on the map to these guys because I was living in New York City. I moved back and I was spoiled by the projection houses that were showing older movies in a, in a public or group setting. Um, and so when I moved back, I was really missing that. And I found the moving picture van, which was playing Psycho at the Weyerbacher Brewing Company. And so our our whole team of, of hosts and producers went and we had a really awesome time, love the experience. And then we went back shortly after that to see Night of the Living Dead. So yeah, that's uh that was that was super fun. I loved loved going to those those showings at Weyerbacher. Night of the Living Dead was particularly fun with that cemetery backdrop. Oh yeah. We intentionally positioned a screen so that would be behind it. I love that so much. <laughs> And Lauren, when I was looking at at your history, it seems like there's quite a bit of a marketing and social media background. My background is predominantly social work. I worked at a hospital for a long time and I got tired of working in such a stressful environment. So I 
I found a job at a nursing home that I had been working with um, through the hospital and they were looking for a marketer. So it was a little bit of social work still and you know, a little bit of hospital and medical, and then also started introducing me to marketing and sales. Mm -hmm. So I started gaining experience with that. Um, Shortly after I started there, you know, COVID happened um, and everything got a little bit different. So that's when I really started working with Matt and kind of on the back end, trying to figure out how to help with a marketing um, and business development, you know, specialty, I guess. So helping with the moving picture cinema. And then as we started kind of dreaming about owning a a drive-in, then I started learning more about the business side of that. The first time that you guys came across each other was when he sold you a ticket to the (laughs) drive-in. And I believe you said that was your first time going to a drive-in? Yes. And that was to see Suspiria? Suspiria, the original one, yeah. That is so cool. (laughs) So, So fill me in on how you got from him selling you a ticket for your first time ever going to a drive-in to now being a co-owner of a drive-in. Like where did where did that love and and passion to want to become an owner of a drive-in take place? I don't know. It's the most bizarre thing because I always thought, I mean, I just sort of expected I would always be a social worker. Like that's just sort of how the career tends to go. Sure. Um, and I never really thought about Like, I would never, ever in a million years have thought that I would be here. It's just bizarre. Um, I loved going to the drive-in. I I always loved going to, like, the older movies. Like, I went to the Emmaus Theater all the time. um, And and I liked to go see, like, new or, like, re-releases of older movies. Mm. So Mahoning was on my radar for a little while. I finally made it out to go see Suspiria. And I was like, this is incredible. Like, being able to watch in that different environment, yeah. sitting outside under the stars, watching the movie. Um, and then I just sort of kept going. Where did each of your love for movies stem from? I joke with people, at least as I exist now, <laughs> uh, I, I am, a, I am a, a, a drive-in movie nerd, but I'm not a movie nerd. I, I am, I'm not a film nerd, I should say. I, I don't have an encyclopedic knowledge of, of film and filmography. I don't have a, I don't have a library in my brain. Uh, there are a lot of people in this industry that could definitely out-trivia me. Uh, but I love drive-ins. Mm-hmm. I am an, I, I just got fixated on that. And, and a lot of it is because a lot of my core childhood memories involve drive-ins. I grew up going to Shankweilers. I grew up going to Becky's. And a lot of the movies that came out in my childhood, we went and saw at a drive-in. So I like, I remember seeing the, you know, Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movie on Becky's drive-in screen. I remember yeah. watching that that silly Van Helsing movie from the 2000s in a thunderstorm at a drive-in, which for a movie about a guy hunting vampires worked out kind of perfectly. And so these weird experiences kind of stuck in the back of my brain. And when I started exploring these art house theaters, that kind of came back to the back to the, the, the front. <laughs> Definitely. So yeah, movies. I mean, I went to film school. I guess that's important, but <laughs> I went to film school. I made dozens of movies. I, I, I worked on a few features, but like all on the independent side, nothing, sure. nothing with like a theatrical distribution. I have one uh, feature that I directed and produced myself, 
uh, and only sees a theatrical play when I choose to play it at whatever theater I happen to be working in at the time. So <laughs> that's kind of my background with that. Very cool. And how about you, Lauren? I just grew up going to movies. I am just like Matt. People love to try to like name drop these obscure movies to me as though I have an appreciation for it. But I regularly tell people my favorite movies are Jurassic Park and Titanic. And those have been my favorite movies for decades. And I don't, you know, I, I always tell Matt, like when we're coming up with programming, yeah, I represent the normal person who maybe doesn't have this like in-depth understanding of film and, you know, independent films and artistic things. I'm just the one who likes the blockbusters. And... Well, that's that, that's a really good jumping point to uh, to go into programming. One of one of my favorite things just in general when it comes to movies is this idea of a double feature something that the drive-in is so synonymous with. So tell me a little bit about your choices when it comes to programming two movies that go back to back. So there's there's kind of two approaches we have, and it all depends on on what we're doing. Sure. If it is a first-run movie, obviously we're up against a lot of studio Hollywood restrictions with what we can play. Um, so it's a little bit of a dance when we're programming first-run material. But we do our very best to try to make sure that whatever co-feature we have with our, with our headliner either ties into it, complements it, or somehow, you know, kind of rips off it sure you know it it's it's always it's always kind of a balance to strike it, and and you want to you want to make sure you're programming a co-feature that you know your first audience might be cool with staying with but there might also be a completely separate audience that comes just for that movie yeah definitely uh, and then when you're going on the uh, repertory route with classic movies that's where you get to have a lot of fun oh yeah and and that's where you know you see you see us kind of get creative with with screenings like Twister and The Shining, yeah. which I won't spoil the tie-in for anyone who hasn't <laughs> seen those movies. But there is one, and it's awesome. That and is super cool. I forgot I forgot how much The Shining tied into Twister until finally rewatching it on the drive-in screen, and oh, it was yeah. perfect. Oh yeah. <laughs> so and being able to do fun nerdy stuff like that yeah, satisfies me for sure. For sure. <laughs> Sometimes we just pick things that we want to watch. So <laughs> we, we had one weekend um, a few weeks ago that there weren't any new releases that we wanted to show. There wasn't really um, like a huge audience that we were anticipating. So we played Superbad and Step Brothers, which are just movies I really like that I thought yeah. were funny. And we enjoyed watching them and people actually came, which was surprising. So... Sometimes that's how we choose as well. That's awesome. For each of you, what in in a perfect world, regardless of studio restrictions or cost, what would be your perfect double feature? Titanic is the whole feature probably. <laughs> <laughs> I've always wanted to put Wizard of Oz and Return to Oz back to back. That is such a, a weird journey to go on. Yeah. I've never even seen that. It is it is Is it a sequel? It is a sequel. <laughs> it is a sequel. It's it's by Disney. Oh. So where Wizard of Oz is Warner Brothers, but it's based on the sequel book. But uh it, it, it delves into a lot of uh darker sort of psychological elements, uh, particularly with Dorothy in, in the in the first act. There's also some very disturbing imagery throughout. 
involving uh, some uh, villainous characters. So it, it's it's one of those it's one of those famous like traumatize me as a kid. This movie's meant for kids, but kids probably shouldn't watch it. It's a great second feature for a drive-in. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Along with this idea of programming comes the business side of things. Uh, the things that I'm sure most of our listeners are very unfamiliar with. Could you could you key our audience in a little bit on that behind the scenes? What that looks like to go from concept, we have a double feature idea, to getting those those digital assets to to project. Tell, tell me a little bit about that whole process from beginning to end. It is so complicated and people <laughs> never believe me when I tell them that, but that was the biggest thing that I had to learn mm. um, because I came at this like, let's play this movie and let's play this movie. And Matt was always like, no, like we can't do that because of certain restrictions. There's certain studios that are much easier to work with mm. than others and a little more flexible. Um, I don't know. Do you want to explain about like the double feature part of it? Yeah, it's so, so hard. So with with drive-ins, like you said, drive-ins are synonymous with double features, and and that's kind of an edge that we have uh, versus our indoor counterparts. Is mm. we have a lot of flexibility to bundle movies together. That's kind of a uniquely drive-in thing. Yeah. And um, so most of the time, uh, we kind of have uh, a lot of wiggle room in, in the first run sphere. To, to play with our co-feature. Sure. Uh, particularly if we stay in-house with whatever studio is putting out the first the first feature. If we stay within that studio, generally we can kind of get what we want. Uh, but there's other studios that have mandated co-features. They wow. won't let us program. So a lot of a lot of like first run movies we choose to bring in hinges on what we can pick as the co-feature. Mm. So if there's a movie coming in that might have a strong start, but they want us to put a, a real turkey in for the for the co-feature, sure. we might have to skip it because we have to think about like, you know, our audience wants a wants that value. They want they want to get two movies for that price and they want to make sure that that whatever is playing next is something that they might want to stay for, even if they don't. So we have to kind of be cognizant of like is that co-feature going to draw? So, sure. so there's a lot of there's a lot of weird nuances and politics and 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 uh, little caveats with with every studio. And we actually work with a film booker that helps us navigate. Most most theaters will have a a, a film booker that mm. represents numerous theaters so that they can get good deals. Because that's the that's the other kind of odd thing with Hollywood is that you you kind of have to like haggle the studios and, sure. and and negotiate terms with them. So working with a booker that represents multiple theaters helps with that bargaining power. Yeah. So our booker represents a lot of drive-ins. So yeah, it's that, helpful for us to kind of that makes sense. Another thing that's become kind of a new consideration is um, streaming windows, and that's something that theater owners. Um, associations like all of really all of them have been talking about regularly releasing into theater and releasing onto streaming platform at the same time. Mm. And so there's been a lot of studying about whether that hurts their bottom line, you yeah. know, and how much money they end up making, which it significantly does. But it also affects whether we choose to show those movies, because if we're showing a movie that we're locked in the show for three weeks and they are going to be releasing it on the streaming after two weeks, that's going to hurt us. That's going to affect the audience that's coming to us. Totally. So we're constantly paying attention to things like that as well. 
theaters and drive-ins come in all shapes and sizes, many, many different screen counts. One of the things about Schenkweiler's is that it's a single screen. Tell me a little bit about the pros and the cons to being a, a single screen drive-in. I think the biggest pro to a single screen drive-in is that there isn't, there's less noise. Hmm. You know, with, with multi-screen drive-ins, you're always catching glimpses of that other screen. There's always sound spillover from from other other parts of the field that are playing different movies. Yeah. If if one side's playing a drama and the other side's playing an action movie, you're gonna hear explosions during a a, sure. a, a pivotal scene, which is a little bit <laughs> and, and you know, so that's always kind of something that I, I've I've looked on uh, single screen drive ins favorably because there's everyone's watching the same thing. Everyone's there together to experience one movie yeah. together. And and I like the idea of of not having anything interfere with that. I'm a stickler about like the presentation side of it and, yeah. and making sure that everything anybody who has their headlights on can tell you. <laughs> I like to uh, <laughs> I like to make sure that that you know everyone is is able to be engrossed in the movie if they mm-hmm. want to be. And uh, so having multiple screens I think makes that a little bit muddy. Um, the downside is obviously the, on the programming side, it's very challenging. Uh, there are, there have been so many instances, even in our short time this spring, um, that we wished we had two screens just so we could play all the movies that are coming out. Sure. You know, especially this summer now that we're finally kind of, well, the writer's strike might change that next year, but this summer, <laughs> summer. <laughs> this summer we have a lot of movies to play with, so <laughs> it might not be so bad being a single screener next yeah. year. Uh, but this summer, you know, there's there's so much stuff coming out, a lot of stuff overlaps. If we get a movie that has a two, three-week commitment, we might not be able to bring another big blockbuster in. So we yeah. have, it's a little more of a juggle when you, when you only have one screen to program. But if you have two, I think the ideal number is two because it's it's not you're not inundating customers with with you know uh, a variety, but at the same time uh, you're able to kind of like get the movies you want to get. But with one screen, it's it's nice because there's that just just that central focus. I saw on social media for Shankweilers that you're doing a some kind of a van get together. <laughs> <laughs> Vanadu. Vanadu. That's it. We've been joking about that for years. Vanadu, I think, started as a joke. In fact, yeah. it was something that I just kind of made mention of when we were doing our shows. And it's a product. It, it, it's something that kind of purely we fell into by accident. Uh, when we started doing the moving picture stuff, uh, I just happened to have that old van. I bought that van back when I was running Mahoning to help me with restocking because sure. I would always buy tons and tons of food and haul it up to the theater. So I got that purely for a utility need of of transportation and moving goods. And then when I went into moving picture full time, it came with me to to haul all the AV equipment. So I just, you know, I rebranded it and just started doing that. But it's it turns out that is a highly sought after classic van that <laughs> that a lot of people love. And and Purely by accident, I kind of found myself in the midst of this weird underground van community of people who who drive and and restore and, and hang out with their old weird vans. And so Vanadu kind of was just born out of that, uh, out of this like, you know, accidental integration into this subculture. 
Uh, and then, you know, when we expanded and got two vans, of course, I got a matching van. And so now we have like these two old Chevy vans that are kind of our, our flagship carriers for moving picture. Very cool. Tell me, tell me a little bit more about moving picture. Where did that, where did that concept come from? What, uh, what really made you want to jump into that in the first place? The work we were doing at the Mahoning was really cool, but for a lot of people, it was inaccessible. Sure. You know, the Mahoning is, is up in the mountains. It's, it's out of, it's way out of the reach of a lot of major cities and a way out of the reach for a lot of people that can't necessarily travel to it. And the idea with the moving picture was to be able to take that that sort of retro driving experience and plop it in the middle of a of a urban or suburban area. You know, go to a non theatrical space and turn it into a theater overnight. And so we ended up really really um, hitting it off with a, a couple of museums to start doing special curations. Some of my favorite programming we do is for the Mutter Museum in Philly. Uh, we do a lot of weird stuff for them, and and that, that's a lot of fun. And the ability to kind of turn those spaces, be it a museum or a park or a brewery or winery, and and make that a theatrical space in a couple hours and have everybody experience a movie in a unique venue was just – it was enticing to me. And, and after building that digital rig at Mahoning and making that work on a massive drive-in screen, being able to take that same system and then implement it in people's backyards, literally. Yeah. It was just kind of just a fun, fun concept for me. And and it makes that experience accessible for everybody and, and brings that experience to communities that don't have drive-ins anymore. Because mm. there used to be a ton. There used to be Tons. a ton of drive-ins. Yeah. One of the things Matt and I like to do is go find the places with abandoned drive-ins. So, because there are so many. Um so we found all the ones around like the Lehigh Valley and around Philly. And so there are a lot of people who grew up going to drive-ins and they just don't exist anymore. They're mm. like a CVS or a grocery store or a warehouse. So bringing the drive-in back to those areas yeah, has been fun. That's that's awesome. Now, you said that you had left the social work field. And when you first started, was it with Moving Picture? Yeah. Tell me, Tell me a little bit about that. Well, I very abruptly quit my job, so <laughs> so there wasn't a a ton of thought that went into it. It was uh, there was a unfortunate job situation that I immediately was just like, I can't do this anymore. Mm. Um, and then I we talked about should I get another like quote unquote real job with benefits and and everything and. I begged Matt to just let me join his company. So I came up with a position for myself and then told him that I was working with him. So, <laughs> and then we made that work. So initially I started just continuing with the marketing aspect of it. Sure. Um, going to network, get the word out about the company and, and get some more you know, jobs and new connections. And I think that worked out really well. And it also created a really good foundation in the community where people got to know us and know what we were doing before we bought Shankweilers. Yeah. So then once we got Shankweilers, it looked like a natural growth and a natural progression of something we had already been working on. Well, it was. Well, I mean, it was, but to yeah. to everyone, like, it's not like we just like burst onto the scene <laughs> of like, and now we bought Shankweilers. We didn't just appear with the drive. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, we had built, like, we had 
spent time building up this idea of what we were doing, getting people invested in it on a small scale so that when we graduated onto having our own drive-in, people were already really excited and really invested in it. Yeah, establishing the moving picture cinema as a brand was was kind of an important step in in our networking endeavors with with Shankweilers, hmm. and that's all Lauren. Uh, she she's she she hustles all the events and is is always the the public face of the company. I'm I, I work in the shadows. <laughs> we, essentially, I get the business, and then Matt makes it actually happen. (laughs) You're talking about making these connections with the community. What draws you to want to be drive-in owners in the Lehigh Valley specifically? Well, I don't think we always were looking to be drive-in owners in the Lehigh Valley. Originally, so Lauren and I developed an entire plan to open a drive-in theater in Bucks County. Okay. We had our sights set on the Philadelphia suburbs because we had Shankweilers and Becky's here. We had Mahoning to the north. We have two more drive-ins above that, three more actually. And and so there's drive-ins all around us, but no drive-ins down there. Yeah. And we were seeing such success with our programming down there that we knew there was a need for it. Like there was Mm -hmm. a market there for it. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that, Killed the drive-in in the uh, in the eighties and nineties was the was land value. Mm. Land was land was basically becoming more valuable in the businesses that existed on it, and sure. so a lot of drive-ins sold off to developers. Um, and so we were up against that, you know, in this real estate explosion where prices are insane. Yeah. And then when you go on the commercial side, it's it's unworkable, especially if you're you know, a three-year-old company with not a huge cash flow. <laughs> yeah, so, definitely. So, you know, really Shankweilers happened out of pure curiosity. It was for sale for years. It was for sale since like 2014. And I was aware of it, but mm-hmm. we had always kind of dismissed it because of the price tag. Um, but on a whim, one night in February, I went over and met the owners, met the realtor, toured the theater. It was like the first time I was at Shankweilers since growing up. Sure. And at the end of that meeting, I just said, let's make it work. Let's make it happen. So, you know, Lauren and I spent the next nine months securing a loan and and going over the business, revising our plan. And then actually ultimately it worked out for us because Shankweilers is, is an established entity. It is it is a, a theater that has endured. Yeah. It was born out of the Depression. It is a, it, it has survived all kinds of things. And, yeah. Uh, both both global and local events. So it is a it is a a resilient business, and being able to 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 show that and prove that, and have our own model that complements that yeah. was really our key to success in mm. in financing that project and making that happen. Very cool. Yeah, I can't for for someone that is a self proclaimed um, drive in aficionado. I think owning the Oldest operating drive-in in the United States is a is a pretty good feat. That's definitely a flex, and I <laughs> I, I am aware of that. <laughs> well, drive-ins during the pandemic really exploded, and they were being used for so many more things than just 
movies. Mm-hmm. And I saw on both Shankweiler's website and the Moving Picture website that you guys have ideas and desires and dreams for alternative uses for these spaces. Yes. I'd love to hear a little bit about anything you're willing to share publicly about that right now. <laughs> so, so historically, drive-in owners had other jobs. You know, that was like sometimes they were teachers and so they had off during during the summer or um, did something else during the day and then ran the drive-in at night. And we saw this as an, uh, something that we wanted to make full-time for ourselves. So in order to do that, we had to adapt a business model so that it would be able to succeed and so that it would bring in other sources of revenue besides just showing the movies. So the easiest thing, not really the easiest, but a very clear opportunity came out of the fact that we have three, three and a half acres. I don't even know. Three to four. It's, it's four to five. Yeah. Okay. So we have some acres of land, we have land. Um, and it's just empty during the day. Mm. It, it just sits there and waits for the audience to come later at night. So what could we be doing during the day and how could we be making use of that? So um, we've talked to some people about doing car shows. We're doing a a car cruise-in this weekend, actually, on Saturday. Um, It's a classic car club that's just going to come drive in and hang out, and it should be pretty fun. Um, We've talked about doing, like, cars and coffee. We've talked to some people who want to host a food truck festival. Um, A lot of drive-ins do things like flea markets, and that's not really a direction we're leaning toward at the moment, but things like craft fairs, we've Mm -hmm. definitely been open to. Definitely. So I tell people all the time that when they, if they have an idea of something that we could do, they should just tell us and we'll see if we can make it work because um, it's, it's still kind of a new idea and a new territory and we're open to so many different ideas that people might have that we couldn't even think of. When you guys were running the moving picture cinema during the pandemic, what kind of an impact did you guys see firsthand from when that was going on and operating that business? The company grew 8,000% in the pandemic. Um, (laughs) Moving picture was kind of backburnered for a while. Um, It was something that, that was started, but then, I got busy busy running the Mahoning. My other co-founder at the time got busy because he operates theaters down south of us. He got really busy. We just, you know, kind of fell out of it. It was just Mm. sort of something that, you know, we just didn't have the time for. But the company existed. We did a few gigs and and then the season started up and I worked at the drive-in. Then pandemic hit and suddenly there was this explosion of need for outdoor programming. So I very quickly grew it. Um, you know, I, we upgraded our screen, we upgraded projection. We we immediately started marketing ourselves out to, to, to shuttered theaters and museums. And that's really where, where a lot of our lasting partnerships came from was those initial jobs that we worked uh, during lockdowns. And, you know, being able to provide entertainment for for a population that's starved of things to do, yeah, was really kind of inspiring, and it was it was uh, it was so it was like it was like an honor because we were working with well-established, beloved theaters that couldn't open, and and now we're we're 
we're making it happen. We're making a presentation happen safely outside for for an institution that this community loves. And being able to facilitate that and be a part of it was just very exciting. Mm-hmm. And, and so, yeah, and that ultimately is what led to to years and years of, of, of you know, long-term partnerships with these with these theaters so yeah from a purely selfish point of view i was working in a nursing home all through covid and that was it was really rough um so having opportunities to go and watch movies outside and be doing something um was i don't know i it was just so needed it was so necessary and I kind of feel like that's what helped me survive through it. And I know that there are a lot of other people who looked to these sort of outdoor events as, you know, a way to make it through a really hard time. I want to hear a little bit more about marketing and what you guys do marketing wise and um, some of the the pros, cons and challenges that you face when it comes to to marketing a drive-in. I think historically drive-ins don't do a ton of marketing. A lot of them, they just sort of rely on the fact that they are a drive-in in a town and everyone has grown up with it and everyone knows about it. So word of mouth carries it on, which I think Shankweiler's largely has done. It just kind of was a drive-in that was there. We know it's something special. We know it has the historic value. People in this area, for some reason, don't know that. They don't know that it has a Guinness World Record. They don't know how old it is. So we saw a lot of opportunity to really bring that to people's attention and look at different venues and ways of advertising that that, that maybe a, a traditional drive-in wouldn't pursue. So I went out into the community. I've done presentations. At like We presented an entrepreneur group. Um, I... I've done a few speaking engagements, which is not my forte, but that's that's fine. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, just meeting connections and and spreading it in that way. But also, we have a really strong social media presence, and Matt has a lot of experience doing that from Mahoning. That's how he managed to grow that business, um, and we thankfully inherited a pretty solid following when we when we bought the theater so we we've used that to reach a lot of different audiences that weren't aware of the theater before um right after we bought it we went viral on tiktok which was a frightening (laughs) experience (laughs) honestly like we had 38 followers when we when we got the account yeah um and now we're at 16,000 I think and it happened like overnight where we posted I I posted a dumb video of Matt turning on the neon sign and it got like two and a half million views and we were like oh my god so all winter we were getting people from Philly and New York and um out of state just people driving out which was really exciting and that's something that wouldn't have happened if we weren't marketing in in that way and marketing on social media you mentioned something really interesting there, which is wintertime. Mm. Something that not many drive-ins do is stay open year-round. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about the decision to stay open year-round and um, some of the benefits and drawbacks that that has. <laughs> it's actually kind of a – well, with Shankweilers is the exception. Shankweilers has always been seasonal. Mm. But drive-ins as a whole historically were year-round, including those up here in the Northeast – 
it's actually kind of a recent phenomenon that they are seasonal. And a lot okay. of that has to do with owner operators getting older, uh, drive-ins being viewed as kind of a part-time job and not yeah. a full-time job because they used to be a full-time thing that you had, you know, a staff that worked there to make a living. And so we're kind of going back to that model where this yeah. drive-in is our full-time job. We're, we're going to be open all year because this is, this is what we do. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it is interesting. It, it's kind of this expected thing that drive-ins are seasonal, but in, in reality, it's, it's actually kind of a new, a new phenomenon. And when you get out to like kind of the Midwest and, uh, and further West, even, even up North where it gets colder than it does here, uh, there's a lot of drive-ins that are still open year round. Wow. So it's, it's actually pretty interesting to see how common it still is. And so I think it's been a little bit of a learning curve for us, but also kind of a retraining of our audience sure. to sort of uh, reintroduce them to the winter drive-in experience. That's that's fascinating. What what other kind of common misconceptions are there when it comes to drive-ins? <laughs> I don't know. We have, <laughs> we have a lot of people ask us why we can't start the movie earlier. And we have to explain that, yeah. unfortunately, we must go by the sun um, because it shows in the dark. So that is yep. a surprisingly large misconception. We have a lot of people also that that, that struggle with uh, the sound delivery, the FM mm-hmm. radio. Um, a lot of first timers, they have the picture in their mind of the speakers on the poles, mm-hmm. which very few drive-ins do that anymore. Um, and most of the ones that still have them um, only have like one or two rows for decoration. Okay. They're barely functional. Um, yeah, our speaker poles are are, are, no are are for organizing cars, but <laughs> but so a lot of we have we have a lot of customers that come in with this expectation, like I'm going to hang this pole on my win- this little speaker on my window. That's how I'm going to hear the movie. Then they get here and go, oh, I need a radio. Mm. If they drive a newer car, it might not even have an FM receiver in it. So there's yeah. a little bit of a, a learning curve for people. A lot of people don't know how to put their car in accessory mode mm. uh, or run their car without their headlights turning on. Yeah. So there's a there's there's a lot of there's a lot of kind of retraining people for the drive-in experience, yeah. but but for the most part, you know, they get there, they learn, and then they have a great time. And next time they come back, they know exactly what they're doing, and it's <laughs> it's worked out. So we we ended up did we ended up bringing a, a small a small stash of radios in as rentals, just just as that kind of emergency stopgap if if someone absolutely cannot hear the movie with whatever equipment they brought. We, sure. we do have the means of, of making sure they have a, have a fun night. <laughs> we have a lot of people who listen to radios, you know, like listen to radio programs on their phone. And so then they're surprised when we tell them you can't use that for this because we, I don't, and you can explain this a little bit better that we have a short range radio that kind of overlays over an existing mm-hmm. radio station. Mm-hmm. So if you're picking something up over you know, your phone, you're going to completely miss that. And you're just going to get the oh, like Christian music yeah. station. God. It yeah. It's, it's, we are a micro vicinity transmitter, which means pretty much the, the boundaries of our lot is, is at, as far as our signal goes. So, you know, you're not going to find us on, on a cell phone app. You're not going to find us in a registry because, you know, the station really doesn't exist. It, it's, it's only for that small vicinity. Yeah. Um, which is a uniquely uh, that, that that's a whole thing regulated by the FCC. That's like a drive-in, like little 
legal thing that drive-ins are able to do. It's 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 very bizarre, but we're limited on how powerful our transmitter can be. So that means that those apps that you get on your phone aren't going to recognize that we are a radio station. Sure. And surprisingly, uh, while we are seeing a lot of advancements in projection with laser technology, we aren't seeing a lot of uh, forward momentum with sound delivery. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we have customers ask us about, you know, Bluetooth capability or, or various like, you know, transmitting over a, over a Wi-Fi band. And there isn't really a way to do that yet that doesn't involve some kind of signal delay that yeah. puts your audio out of sync with the picture. Mm. There's something about the the old school FM broadcast that is an immediate delivery to your yeah. device that allows us to play the soundtrack with the movie where uh, our the digital counterparts haven't quite gotten that dialed in yet. I had a funny experience right in line with what you were saying before about people needing to learn their vehicles and to get the best experience. I have a 2019 Hyundai and it took me the first time we went to the drive-in probably a good hour and a half to figure out how to turn my interior um, like accessory lights from full brightness down to like 1%. And it was so distracting until I could do it. But now that I figured out how to do it, I could do it every time. (laughs) And it's the kind of thing, until you're in that exact circumstance, you have no idea how to make it work. I've gotten pretty good at, like, just reaching into people's windows and turning their lights off. Like, (laughs) like it's such an, it's such, it's like a puzzle box for me. It's like, how, how does this, how does this work? There's all kinds of weird combinations. Did you put your parking brake on? Is it, did you, did you, did you press the start button really quick once or did you hold it in? It is (laughs) all these weird little, and every automaker is different. So you you just kind of trial and error until eventually the lights turn off. Yeah. If it doesn't work, worst case scenario, I throw throw plastic bags over the lights to to douse (laughs) them. But, but this was so much a, a problem during the winter because people were sitting in their cars and running their heat. Yeah, so that makes sense. that's kind of where Matt became this expert because everyone was always in their car. As we get into the summer, people really will be sitting outside. And sure. It won't be so much, yeah. of an, sure. so much of an issue. But It's funny. It's like in the winter, it's more headlight control, but you're not jumping into cars because people are running their cars intermittently to keep mm-hmm. them warm. But when you get into the summer season, now people are running their car batteries down. So you're not having as many headlights, but you're jumping more cars. It's a weird... <laughs> Ah, the seasons. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of things that you wouldn't think about yeah. unless you're in in that exact situation. Well, as we bring this episode to a close, what is one thing that you guys are really excited about for this upcoming summer season? Um, Barbie. Barbie. <laughs> uh, hopefully, selling out. Yeah, yeah, that's something Hitting that capacity because that's driving does that a lot. It's it's. It's not a huge drive-in, so it, it's known for selling out, and and so I'm very excited to to be there that night that it hits capacity. That's going to be awesome. Well, guys, thank you so much for coming in today. It was such a joy talking with you both. Thank, thank you, you for yeah. having us. And that was our conversation with Matt and Lauren from Shankweiler's Drive-In and the Moving Picture Cinema. For more information, you can visit their websites at shankweilers.com and themovingpicturecinema.com or check them out on Instagram at shankweilers or themovingpicturecinema, respectively. Shankweilers Drive-In Theater is located at 4540 Shankweiler Road, Orfield, PA, and starting this Thursday, May 25th, they will be showing movies seven days a week through the fall. As always, movies start at sunset.
This summer, they will also continue the Mobile Cinema with upcoming shows, including North Whitehall Township's Movies in the Park series, as well as their ongoing Movies at the Mercer series with the Mercer Museum and County Theater in Doylestown. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for tuning in to the Lehigh Valley Arts Podcast, a Steel Pixel original series. Don't forget to like the podcast, leave us a review, and follow us on both social media and streaming services at Lehigh Valley Arts Podcast. Mm-hmm.